If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and we will start in verse 26 as we look at uh, Gabriel's uh, intersection of uh, Mary and this uh, incredible story that there is so much richness to. So as you're turning there, and I'm not sure if it's just the season that we're in, that we're in this sanctuary I've watched over the past few nights as people have entered in for these performances as they walk through the doors and their first uh, glance is usually around to the stained glass windows, maybe stare up at the dome for a little bit or behind at this beautiful stained glass window in the back. There are a few moments where people walk in and maybe it was Kenny's sermon a few weeks ago talking about the, the threshold walking into the sanctuary that uh, people look at and think about how many brides have walked down that aisle or at times caskets pulled over uh, that particular threshold or there's just something about being in this room that I think elicits in us a, a feeling of history, right? Uh, just something about the, the pews creaking and the floor creaking as you walk by it that just speaks to the history of where we are. I've gone on a little journey just looking back at uh, where we've been and um, as we've walked through unto us and, you know, it's a, it's a different season that we're in. And, you know, I want to soak up every moment. We're not going to be in this room forever, so I want to soak it up and enjoy this time that we have in this special sanctuary. And I begin to think back as we've looked at Unto Us and had such great nights of performances, what it was like that first Sunday or that first time that the congregation heard that there was going to be a living Christmas tree in this building. And I went back and pulled the beacon from 1981. It was an interesting read as I was pulling through, and I want to just read a little excerpt, and I want you to think about what it may have been like. Did anybody receive that beacon in 1981? Was anybody here to receive that beacon in 1981? So you remember, you know. But listen, listen, with kind of like a, imagine that you were getting this for the first time, this information for the first time. This Christmas season, a 100-voice choir will be singing Jesus' praises from a 31-foot-tall living Christmas tree. This unique program, the first of its kind in Montgomery, is the beginning of what is hoped to become an annual tradition at First Baptist Church. The tree, built in a custom-designed steel frame, will stand in the choir area of the sanctuary covered with live greenery and decorated. Minister of Music Bill Roper said, We wish to say through the Living Christmas Tree program that our Lord is alive. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and that He is due with honor the praise that can come through such a special performance. It is our intent to make this an annual event. Dr. Huff, the pastor at the time, observed through this production, many persons who would never consider attending a regular worship service enter the door of a church and hear in a most unusual way the story of Jesus Christ. This effort is very much in keeping with our church's emphasis on outreach. Imagine for a moment, you're a church member in 1981, 40 years ago. And you hear this information that we're going to put up a 31-foot Christmas tree in the middle of our sanctuary during Christmas? You know, we're Baptist. We're two or three Baptists together. There's at least 10 different opinions. So can you imagine what that must have been like, right? Can you imagine the wellspring of enthusiasm, probably uh, critique about we're going to do what? We're going to put up what? Where? What about our normal Christmas program? What, what's going to happen to it? We're going to put live greenery on this tree. It's going to be 31 feet tall. Wait, hold on. And people are going to crawl up in it, and they're going to sing inside of it. Can you imagine? 
I mean, it's something that we're kind of familiar with here at our church, right? We talk about the 41st annual living Christmas tree, and we all say, this is so great. But it's a little bit crazy, is it not? It's a big dead tree in the middle of a sanctuary that people get up on and they sing out from it. Y'all don't think that's weird? I mean, it's a little bit bizarre. And I think over 40 years of it becoming so normal and natural to us, it's just what we do here. We put up a big tree every year and the different people get up and they green it and they put the lights on it and they sing from it. And it's so normal to us, but think about 40 years ago, what it would feel like. I talked to Pastor Dale Huff as he left last night from the performance and just asked him, man, what was it, what was it like? And he just started going through all the different things that happened. And I talked to Patty Roper, her husband Bill, the minister of music, and she just said, you wouldn't believe. And she just started talking about the things that you would never think about. You think about that first time that the congregants of First Baptist Church, the finance committee, the different committees of the church to hear about that we're going to put up a 31-foot tree in the middle of downtown Montgomery, in the middle of First Baptist Church. And they said that we hope it's going to become an annual tradition. Nobody would have believed that it was going to become a 41-year, a 40-year annual tradition here at our church. Now, you take that. You take that same splendor and wonder, that same thing that says, oh, this is so familiar. We hear it every year. We put up the tree. You get your beacon, and you think, oh, yeah, the tree's coming again this year. And we become so familiar with the story, we lose its, its insanity at times, its craziness at times of what we're going to do. And in the same way, as we come to Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38, we can read this story so often, so many times, that we can almost say, oh, yeah, Mary had a baby. Wasn't that so great? Mary got to have the baby. She got to have the Son of God. Isn't that so great for Mary? At times we can, we can lose the practicality, the reality of Mary standing before Gabriel, hearing this news and all that would entail from her hearing in this moment what she's about to hear. And so in the same way, friends, we can become so immune and numb to the reality that God sent his Son from heaven to earth in this Christmas season. And let me just warn you, in the midst of all the presents and all the stuff and all the hubbub of what we're doing, we can miss the ultimate reality of the reality of this story. We can become so overfamiliar with the Christmas story that can lose its incredible splendor and wonder and magnificence in its power. And so as we read this morning, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, I want you to try your best to put away all that overfamiliarity with this story. Try to imagine yourself in the, in the shoes of Mary or the shepherds or the wise men hearing this story. So this morning as I read this, hear it in fresh and a new way. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. It was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And this virgin's name was Mary. Gabriel came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high God and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. 
Therefore, the child will be born, will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37 and 38 are incredibly powerful verses. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray together. Lord, would your word be instructive for us today? Would it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway? Or teach us through your word, not not that we would stay the same, that we would learn and grow closer into your image today. We're grateful for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The first thing we get is this initial news in Luke chapter 1, 26 through 33. And I want for a moment for you to imagine what Mary would feel to receive this news. Mary was in a betrothal period to Joseph. And so in that period, it's not like our engagement where, you know, you can go through pre-marriage counseling, take some tests and figure out, hey, maybe we're not compatible and break it off. It was a lot more difficult. The only way you would break off a betrothal period was either death or divorce, both of which were not very advantageous. And so for Mary and Joseph to be in this betrothal period, there was a lot uh, connected, uh, connecting them together. And so for Mary to receive this news that she was going to have a baby and that there would be no father of Joseph and it would not be from another man was quite um, challenging for Mary to hear. You got to think of this moment for her to realize all that was going to happen to her over these next several months, uh, thinking about the practical side of going to the marketplace telling her mom and dad, talking to Joseph about what's happened, talk to other friends. Imagine going to the synagogue and having to show up there. Do you think anybody would believe that story that she's telling? So here is Mary receiving such news from this angelic force. And in such a beautiful way, the angel tells her what, what he tells the shepherds, the wise men, and other folks all throughout the Bible as the angel comes to Mary, and Mary is surely concerned about what she's hearing, the angel says to her, what? Do not be afraid. Isn't that good words? As sure as Mary has found favor from the Lord, the angel looks at her and just says simply, do not be afraid. Such good words in the face of all that Mary is about to walk through, all these nine months and also the entire course of Jesus' life, for the angel to simply say at the beginning of this whole journey, Mary, Do not be afraid. You have found favor in God's eyes. We've learned as a church, 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has given us not a spirit of fear, that we've not been given as adopted sons and daughters a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Why do we have no fear? Because he is with us, right? Psalm 23, not that we have the strength, not that we have the rod and staff, but because he does. His rod and staff, they comfort us. They give us security. And so as this angel looks at Mary and simply says, Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. Not that Mary was perfect. And let's go ahead and get that off the table. Mary was not a perfect person. There's only been one who's ever walked the face of the planet who is perfect, and it was not Mary. Jesus is the perfect one. Mary has simply found favor in God's eyes, and she, as you will see at the end of this story, will be a willing to be used, a willing human being willing to be used by the Lord. Her perfection is not what found her favor. Her willingness found her favor in God's eyes. But think about what Mary is hearing. 
a favored one. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Gabriel tells Joseph in Matthew 121 that his name would be Jesus because he would save the people from their sins. Here is Mary carrying this baby who would save the people of their sins. And it says what Jesus would be like, he will be great and he will be called, called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary's not just having a baby. She's having the savior of the world, the son of the most high. Born of miraculous conception. Imagine for a moment, I mean for a moment, just a sliver in a moment, what that would feel like if you're Mary. So Mary in verse 34, in the midst of feeling and hearing from Gabriel that she would give birth to the son of the most high God whose kingdom would have no end, her response in verse 34 is is quite practical, is it not? She simply says to the angel, how? How will this be? I'm a virgin. How can this happen? I've not been with a man. How? It's so interesting because just a few verses before when the angel came to Zechariah, Zechariah said a similar thing. He said, how? I don't think it could be possible. My wife is old. I'm old. There's no way it can happen. Even though we've been praying for it, it's not going to happen. You see the angel rebuke because there is doubt in his voice. But here, Mary, Mary simply says, how? It reminds me of Psalm 13. When the psalmist cries out to the Lord, how, how, O Lord, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. You ever been there before? Crying out to the Lord, just simply saying, how? Lord, how is this going to work? How, Lord, where are you going to show up? How are you going to show up? When are you going to show up? Lord, where are you? Lord, I need help, Lord. In so many ways, you see Mary just simply saying, I hear you, Lord, and I believe you fully, but how? Do you see how? I've not been with, how, Lord? And in Psalm 13, you get that same sense that the psalmist is not writing out of, I don't believe it, but Lord, I'm asking how long. I see my enemies prevailing over me and the frustration that comes from it. How, Lord? And you get to verse 5, the psalmist says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation and I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You see, Mary's beautiful response is just simply, Lord, how? I trust in you. I believe in you, Lord. I know that you will work a way. I see that you will make a way. But, Lord, it's okay for me to simply cry out to you and say, how? It's been beautiful to see as we've walked through the Unto Us performances to get the little cards that come in and see college students who are wrestling with their faith. See moms and dads who are pouring out their hearts over their kids who have gone into a prodigal state. Grandparents who are crying out to the Lord for the salvation of their children. Sometimes you ask the question, Lord, how? When, Lord? How, Lord? Why, Lord? 
And then you come to this holy answer that, the, that Gabriel gives in verse 35. He said to her, exactly how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Therefore, your child will be born, will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age who has conceived a son is in the sixth month with her who was called barren. In verse, 30, verse 37, for nothing Nothing will be impossible with God. Let that verse ring into your heart. Nothing is impossible with God. It's verses like this that allow me on our performances to stand up and share the gospel. And as I talk about what our church has been through, what we've walked through as a faith family, where I can confidently say, if God can save a sinner such as me, then he can save a church arsonist of their sins. Because nothing is impossible with God. That's why we send missionaries across the face of this planet because we believe that the lost can be found in Jesus. And so we believe nothing is impossible with God. So we pray as such. We pray as people filled with faith, knowing that he is able. And at times we don't understand all the ways and means by which he works, but we trust that he is able. You see the incredible work that he has done to send his son Jesus to this earth and to save sinners such as all of us. It's no small thing that he has done for you. It's a miracle that despite our flesh, he has saved us of our sins. That we have cried out for salvation and he has saved us. And so this answer is miraculous in the sense of for nothing will be impossible for God. And in that moment where maybe Mary, maybe she wrestled at time with doubt, I, I don't know. But how beautiful in the midst of this that as Mary is given this incredible news in a parallel track on the sixth month, her relative Elizabeth, who was called barren, is six months pregnant. You think, well, that, that's, that's kind of cool that it all happened like that. Well, who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist had come to prepare the way of the Lord. And here it is, John the Baptist preparing a way, a miraculous birth in John the Baptist. But there is always one, even from the Old Testament, there's always one who would be greater that is coming. And so Jesus would be born of even more miraculous birth. And if Mary in a moment would doubt, Lord, I just don't know that I can do this. Lord, this is too big. This is too much. Are you with me? Do you, do you, am I with you? All Mary's got to do is look at her relative Elizabeth as another reminder that nothing is impossible with God. And so at times in my own life, there's things I have to look around, look back at old journals and say, Lord, you are faithful here until I can walk forward in faith because I see what you have done and I know that you are with us, with me as we carry forward. At times we have to look around at all creation and see his mighty handiwork all around us and say, Lord, yes, nothing is impossible with you. I mean, let's not forsake the reality of what God has done. Let's not get so, so familiar with this Christmas story that he just thinks, oh, he just sent us. No, he has done a miracle here. Nothing is impossible with God. And you come to verse 38. And I want to just camp out here for just a moment because this is so splendidly beautiful that Mary has heard these words. What would happen if she's going to have this baby? hearing that she is about to have the, the Savior of the world, the Son of the Most High God. All that that would mean, the ramifications of friends and family. All that this would entail. 
And Mary responds. Mary doesn't say, Lord, there surely could be somebody else out there that you could use. Mary doesn't say, I don't think I'm up for this. I don't think I'm up for the challenge. I don't think I can do this. She simply says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your will and your word. Is that not stunningly beautiful? That in the midst of all that Mary is feeling and going through, at the end of the day, she simply comes to the Lord and said, Lord, behold, I am yours. Lord, you use me. You use me in any way that is fitting to your word and your will. You think about for us, as we consider it all joy, my brothers, when we meet trials of various kinds, that we would say, Lord, I'm considering it all joy, this trial that has come my way. I am your servant. Lord, I'm not trying to acquire more things and more stuff for myself. I am not my own king in my own kingdom, Lord. I am yours for your kingdom and your glory. So Mary's answer is dangerously faith-filled to receive all this and understand the ramifications and fruit of all that would happen to simply say, at the end of the day, behold, I am yours, Lord. And as we walk through this Christmas season, as we walk into a new year, I don't know that there's a better response for us as believers than to simply say every day and in every way, in every opportunity, Lord, I am yours. Behold, I am your servant. And as Mary begins this trait that will be almost every gospel writer would say that they are a servant. Look at Romans 1.1. Paul said, as he begins his letter to the Romans, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9.19, Paul writes, I have made myself a servant that I may win more of them. Philippians 1.1, as Paul and Timothy wrote to the Philippians, they say, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.7, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. James 1.1, James says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a servant. Jude 1. Jude, a servant. Do you see the thing that holds all these great gospel writers together as they identified themselves first and foremost as servants? It's so counterintuitive to find our life, we lose it. We simply say, Lord, I am yours. Whatever I come to, whatever happens today, Lord, I'm yours. And we follow Jesus' example in Matthew 28, 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And so I can think of no better posture for us to take as people who have been deeply marked by the gospel of Jesus Christ to daily step before the Lord and say, Lord, today, I am yours. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that you take the impossible and you make it possible. Lord, we thank you that you didn't leave us alone in our sins, but you made us alive together with Christ through your son, Jesus. So Lord, thank you. As we come to this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be stirred. Maybe you're calling us. You're calling us out. Or maybe there's things on our heart that we need to lay down here at this altar. Maybe there's things that we just need to get off our chest. Maybe there's things that we need to repent of and turn the other way. Lord, whatever you're calling us to this morning, Lord, I pray that we would faithfully follow you. We love you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.